Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, here with another segment in a series of episodes featuring IMEG's market sector leaders. Today, we're talking with Corey Stout, IMEG's National Transportation Market Leader. Corey, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, share some of some of my insight. You know, you and I have talked before in the past, Corey, uh, and I know your background, but, but for the benefit of our listeners, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your background in, in civil engineering and, and the transportation market. Sure. Um, I have a bachelor's of science in civil engineering. I attended uh, University of Wisconsin in Platteville and uh, started out my career in Chicago for three years working for a consulting firm. And then uh, right after that, I landed in uh, with IMEG here in Rockford, Illinois. And I've been uh, with, with IMEG now for 26 years. And my focus has mainly been on transportation work. At, um, it varies from, munis- on the, from the municipal side, uh, but mostly it's with the state agencies, the departments of transportation, those agencies that are focused on spending federal and state money on infrastructure for roadways and bridges. IMIG's uh, structure for our transportation teams, how does that set up across the country? Overall, we have probably, we're pushing 450 civil engineers. I would say that um, maybe a third of those also focus on transportation work. We have a, a select team of transportation engineers that specifically work with the Department of Transportation, and that's in the range of probably 30 staff with then the rest of our civil, um, you know, supporting us on survey and things like that as needed. And, and when we talk in transportation, we're talking uh, roads, bridges, uh, that type of thing, right? Yeah, anything, anything that's along a state highway or a county highway, um, whether it's, you know, just culvert replacements, full roadway replacement or um, rehabilitation, um, oftentimes that includes a bridge. And sometimes, you know, we're just doing out there doing, um, they call it Sioux subservice utility engineering. So we're just locating the utilities that are underground so that another department can address issues that are related to uh, those utilities being, I guess, a conflict. Looking at the transportation market, you know, there's so much infrastructure that's been in dire need of improvements. And then, and then in 2021, uh, end of 2021, when the infrastructure bill uh, was, was passed and that funding was made available, uh, have you seen a lot of impact from that at this point? Yeah, you know, immediately the, uh, the state agencies and the municipal agencies, they started uh, soliciting work, design work, um, weren't able to spend most of the money immediately because, all, you know, plans had to be developed. Uh, some of the money got to be spent immediately as they were just doing like uh, overlays on roads and doing immediate repairs that, um, you know, maintenance repairs for broken water main pipe and, and other utilities that had broken uh, infrastructure that need to be repaired immediately. But most of it, has been in the planning stages and you're starting to see these these projects now get to bid out so two two years later we've 
been in this hurry up process to get plans out on the street, get them bid. And now you're starting to see those dollars get spent and mm-hmm. you see construction going on everywhere. Have we been instrumental in helping agencies uh, access that funding? Uh, is it been a struggle in any way or has it been pretty seamless? Um, it's been pretty seamless you know, at the municipal level and the county highway level. Uh, we, you know, we help, we assist with writing these grant applications because some of the money comes through a grant to the local agencies from the feds. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so we help write those grant applications, but there's so much grant money out there that it's, you know, everybody's getting a piece of the pie at this point. Uh, it's just a matter of writing a decent application and and waiting for your turn to get some of that money. Have there been any uh, challenges with finding the the workforce? Uh, do these agencies uh, sometimes need assistance in, in 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 getting the jobs done? Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of twofold. Um, these agencies need help from the consultants to get the plans put together. They've, there's just been a, a max exodus of of employees that have been retiring or moving out of the agencies and then working for consultants. But Mm. I'd say 75% of those that are leaving the agency are just straight out going into retirement. Mm -hmm. So there's more pressure on the consultants to, to now turn around and help the agency out. So we have a heightened level of uh, participation with these agencies um, as we act almost as a project manager rather than reporting to their project manager. They're just handing these projects to over to us and entrusting us to, you know, follow their guidelines and not only manage ourselves, but, you know, sometimes we have these contracts where we're the project manager for the state agency hmm. managing other consultants that have other projects. And how does our local presence across the country how does that facilitate uh, these projects at that level? When we're assisting these state agencies at a project manager level, uh, it helps to have staff that are located near their district office because oftentimes we're asked to sit in the office to do that management level work as if we were a DOT employee. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of it can be done remotely, but there's, you know, you still have to get in there once or twice a week in order to to uh, understand their system and be able to get into their system when you need to and and uh, function as a state employee. So two years since the funding, uh, what do you think in another couple years that we're going to be seeing any bigger projects because of this? or uh, And do you think that the, the money that's been allotted is going to make a big dent? Uh, yeah, I you know, all these states have promised to spend this money that the feds are putting out there, which is, you know, I added up, it's over $240 billion in, mm. in federal funding. And um, for transportation alone, they've they've set aside $110 billion. Uh-huh. Um, but it's up to the states to get that work out the door. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're kind of held, held to... We're held to the fact that the contractors are short on staff, um, so we're waiting for for them to build up their their employment level so that they can get more work out. So it's 
it's it's a, a sit and wait process um, as far as the state has to assign the contract and they're short staffed. The consultants have to do the work and they're short staffed. And then once the, that that work is put out to bid, these contractors got to get the work done and and they're short staffed. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's, it's a vicious cycle, but. Um, it's starting to come back and, and you're starting to see more and more activity or starting to find more employment. It's just um, there, there was a real hole that was left behind from the retirement and, and there, there wasn't that middle-aged group of employees uh, that could necessarily step up into the management role. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, there's a gap there between those coming out of school and, and uh, the middle-aged group, I guess, that really does the work. So I'm going to kind of change gears a little bit here. Um, in the past, uh, you you wrote a blog for for us here on our website about uh, the importance of uh, uh, public input and getting getting the public behind a project. Um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? You know, with uh, the COVID era, we expanded uh, how we communicate virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were just starting to touch communication virtually and, uh, COVID really made us figure it out quick. And, and now we do a lot of our public information meetings that we, that we're required to hold when we're doing public improvements. Um, we do those virtually and, and you're able to reach a lar- a lot, a much larger, um, audience, uh, cause in the past we'd have to invite the public to come join us at the library or or a school and you know everybody's working so it's hard to to have a a decent time that everybody that's involved in that road project or that bridge project can be there sure but when we do it virtually uh we you know oftentimes we just hold it in the evening and we, we wait till everybody's probably home from work they don't have to then leave their home come down to the library they just jump online participate in a public information meeting and and we set up a chat room and they can you know at at given points can chat with us ask questions and it, it's all live and and it really makes for a decent uh, uh, back and forth commentary with the public sure yeah that makes a lot of sense uh, and having a public educated it, it really once they understand, that something is going to work or what the plan is or what the outcome is, it makes a huge difference, right, in their buy-in? Definitely. And, you know, so we have, we set up websites. They can go and they can look at our our plans and we do color renderings, 3D renderings. They can click on those videos and watch those videos and, yeah. and do a virtual drive-through of the roadway improvement, uh, see what it's going to look like um, when we're completed with the project. And it really helps them to visualize it. Before we didn't have a lot of that that material and that uh, visualization. Mm-hmm. That's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that visualization was not available, you know, ten years ago, even five years ago. Now we have so many capabilities of how we can present this material, and and uh, it makes it much easier for people to understand, you know, what this is going to look like when it's complete. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of the. The video that we shared on our website uh, with that blog, I think, about the combine uh, and the roundabout, and 
we created a 3D flyover, basically. What was that project and what was that trying to, to accomplish by using that, that flyover? Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a state route. Uh, it was a single lane road and there was, it was a high accident intersection here in Illinois. And the solution was to put in a roundabout because um, it, it was two very rural highways and lots of corn growing most of the time and visibility was poor and, and cars would just fly on through this intersection before they realized the intersection was there and there's a lot of a lot of deaths that occurred. So the idea was to introduce this roundabout. It was the state's idea. Um, put in a roundabout so everybody's forced to slow down but not have to stop. And these single lane roundabouts function very well. Uh, it eliminates all the all the T-bone conflicts that you have in a traditional intersection. Um, but the conflict, there, what we had to present to the public and make them understand how this is going to work was because it was rural, um, there's you know huge farm equipment that has to get through this intersection all the time, um, you know, like a combine. So we created a 3D model of this intersection, grabbed a combine, and had the combine drive through the intersection in real time. And you can see that in a 3D video, how it works. And, and it, it makes you realize, you know, that intersection is actually going to function just fine with something as big as a combine going through there. As part of this podcast, uh, we'll have a summary on our website and uh, we'll be sure to link uh, to that video so that uh, anybody listening can, can go to the website and see what we're talking about here. As we look to the future, um, you know, I guess I think of the the growing number of electric vehicles on the road and autonomous transportation. What's your take on on that? Looking down the road, you know, the feds are taking the the electric vehicles seriously with that infrastructure bill. Bill they um, they set aside seven point five billion just for installing EV stations throughout the country. Um, I don't see that there's a lot of opposition to it or difficulty. It's just a matter of, of finding locations uh, on, the, on the state routes where these EV stations can be installed. You know, it's, you know, McDonald's and, and the Walgreens and gas stations along the routes that they're going to get these stations uh, installed. And it's a matter of them applying uh, to have those installed at their location. And, it, and it's a win-win for not only the state agency and the public, but also uh, the uh, the vendor that's going to attract more people to their, to their gas station or whatever it is because they're all posted where these EV stations are. Anything else in the future that you've got your, your eye set on for how the industry is going to be looking? We're starting to see a lot of videos on drones that we can drive either commercially or individually. And I've seen at least 20 different models that are about ready to go out for production. Um, you know, some of them as early as 2025. And, uh, you know, we're going to start seeing people that own their own drone and they're going to fly from their house right into work. You know, it's all GPS driven. So there, you don't really have to steer it. It's a matter of just plugging in your your destination and and uh, the drone does the work for you. So these are drones that you actually transport yourself. Yes, really. 
they're monstrosities of a, you know, they're as big as a car. Uh, but yeah, obviously they're very lightweight. So that, yeah. uh, it, it's just, it's a lot of propellers and, uh, lightweight batteries that run these things. They can't go very far because batteries are heavy. Uh-huh. Um, so you can't have too much of a battery to run these, but, uh, the ones I've seen so far all run on batteries. I don't know what that's going to do for infrastructure, but it's kind of exciting to see where we're going to go with this. That will be interesting. I can't imagine, but <laughs> I think of Back to the Future and Doc Brown flying through with his with this DeLorean, but <laughs> yep. we'll see. Well, Corey, um, hey, it's been really good having you today here on the, on the episode. Um, and um, I understand... Uh, you're going to be in Ireland on vacation soon. And when you're over there, do you expect you're going to be inspecting or looking at roadways and comparing them to what we have here in the States? Oh, sure. I'm going to, yeah, I'll be looking at the potholes and seeing <laughs> how, how well they've done uh, compared to the United States. I know they have lots of roundabouts over there. So that'll be another thing that I'll have my eye on. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, don't spend too much time thinking of work. Right, right. Thanks again for for being on here today with me and uh, listeners who would, like I said earlier, would like to see the Combine and the Roundabout video uh, can see that by going to our website, which is imegcorp.com and click on our insights tab and go to our podcast and we'll have a summary here of today's conversation. And within that summary, I'll be sure to include that video to take a quick look at. We'll be back with another episode in this series on market leaders at IMEG. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.